So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Many states are facing upcoming votes on the issue of abortion. Two states I'd like to highlight today include California and Michigan. On the ballot is propositions. You, if you live in the state of Michigan or California, have the opportunity to vote on whether or not you want to allow additional access to abortion, overruling very permissive state laws in the states of Michigan and California that already exist. I believe in both states that these propositions can be defeated, but we all have to lean in, talk about what these propositions are, attempting to expand abortion, the most permissive abortion laws we will ever see, written into, enshrined into state constitution. I'll talk about that. We'll also discuss how you can pray in front of an abortion clinic. 40 Days for Life kicks off tomorrow with its fall campaign, a safe place to pray in front of an abortion clinic with other people who have been there before. We'll talk about your rights, how to do that, and stories from the ground. Also, I've been asked how to get involved in the local pro-life movement. It's a great question. Many of us have that question, and there are many ways that we can serve with our skills and our time in the local community. Now, more than ever before, we continue to need people speaking up for life. Joining me today on Trending is Father Tim Grumbach. He is the pastor chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese Diocese of Los Angeles. We're going to talk about Star Wars and woke culture, including the tying of the gender ideology. Maybe you're struggling in your faith with reconciling the church's teaching on gender and LGBTQ issues and the soft heart you have for people who are experiencing same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. Maybe you self-identify on some non-binary plane. We'll talk about that today on Trending. We'll also dive now into the topic of young Catholics and their beliefs on abortion. Father Tim, you and I were talking earlier today about how strong uh, the pro-abortion response is today in many high school age teenagers. It's fascinating to me uh, hearing a lot of the response from young high schoolers who are on social media and really thinking about how they live in this vortex of one narrative. And I think that's telling, especially because you were sharing with me, Father Tim, the response of students coming back this school year. Can you share with me a little bit about Catholic high school students' response to overturning of Roe versus Wade this summer as they're coming back to school? Yeah, we are full swing back into the school semester now. And so the, the students are coming back into campus ministry to find a place to hang out, to f- a place to rest. And uh, I can say, like, even just today, the uh, the language has been a little bit more colorful today. I think uh, some of the students are, are tired and, and just, you know, already kind of, you know, it feels like midway through the semester already. Uh, but then uh, they're just kind of letting loose. So it's, it's good to see them being real and being themselves. Uh, but we're also getting into some conversations that are difficult conversations to have. Uh, and kind of a, maybe a little bit disillusioning as well is hoping that, you know, one would hope that at a, at a Catholic school that uh, they're receiving what we're teaching them and they would be on, on the side of pro-life. And, uh, you know, it's not always the case. And it's easy to look at schools where a lot of students would voice out, uh, you know, in favor of abortion at, you know, at some level. 
and say, oh, that school must be doing a terrible job. I mean, well, it's mission territory. Let me tell you that. So it's not easy, but it's a beautiful thing to be able to uh, still be there as a pro-life witness uh, for these teenagers as they're hearing, right, you said it, that you know, there's, there's kind of one narrative coming at them through the media. And one of our teachers just recently, uh, who's teaching uh, social justice for our students or will be teaching social justice for our students, uh, wanted to ask them the question, you know, what is one social issue that you find really important in your life right now? And she says that some of them actually responded with, you know, losing the right to abortion. That was their issue of concern. And I see that's because that's a major issue of the concern of the media and and the social media, whatever they might be taking in. Uh, so it's it's a it's a bit frightening to hear that that is their response, that is their concern. But I, I'm also somewhat encouraged. Uh, by uh, the witness of some of our students who are starting Warriors for Life, who are part of our pro-life ministry. And we're really excited to see what this October uh, Respect Life Month offers us as a, as a chance to dive more deeply into that mission territory and get students involved in ministries and let them hear stories that maybe the media is not telling them. It's interesting you mentioned that, again, even Catholic high school students are talking about the loss of rights, it shows how powerful the messaging has been from the pro-abortion movement as the loudest voice in media. And when I say media, I'm not just talking about news media. The reality is, is that young people today live in the social media sphere. And it's a tunnel when it comes to algorithms funneling to you like-minded ideas. And predominantly these topics, especially funneled to young people today, is the pro-abortion narrative that you only have equality, you are only part of this culture and this world as equal human beings if you have access to abortion. So young people, especially young women, have been fed this lie that abortion is necessary. Uh, for them. It's really interesting to see how there's censored contrary opinions, particularly to young people today, that all they hear is this pro-abortion narrative. And I think one of the questions that often people have when they look at what's happening right now with the visceral reaction of young people, even in homes of faith, on the topic of abortion, I do think it's simple, Father Tim, and I think there's good news that what we need to do is have conversations and educate these young people. I have seen time and time again, I always say one of the best places I can go in and talk about abortion is actually within our Catholic schools and Catholic youth Mm -hmm. groups. The reason why is it's easier to be organized because the church believes in the pro-life issue. And I can go in and talk about it from a strictly secular perspective, not even diving into our faith. And when they hear the truth for the first time, even if they try to tune you out, they're forced to be there, they have to keep their butts in the seats, being at school or wherever they're at, in these instances, their hearts and minds absolutely change completely on the issue of abortion. And it's just because they're not hearing another pro-woman perspective, pro-baby perspective. It's both pro-woman and pro-baby to be pro-life, but they don't hear that today. Yeah, and that's why I say it's it's exciting and it isn't encouraging uh, because a, a lot of the students that I've encountered that might have these views, these opinions, uh, there's like a friendship building there between me and them, you know, as much as there can be between a, a chaplain, a priest chaplain and the students there. But they, they trust me. They, they will come into campus ministry and cuss up a storm and just tell me what's going on in their lives. Like they don't realize what they're doing. 
but that there's a trust being built there. And so the conversations can happen. So they, they may not, they may have a difficult time receiving it while they're in the classroom, but it's an exciting thing to be a chaplain for them is that I get to hear their perspectives and invite them into you know, deeper stories than they're being told. And so um, just kind of thinking about some you know, particular students, I'm, you know, just this morning, the ways that they were you know, talking about uh, their, you know, their birthdays and their, their, you know, <laughs> the, the kind of trouble that they're getting into a little bit is that you know, these, these, are, these are kids who, uh, who love their friends deeply. And that's where a lot of this concern comes from is they might have uh, friends or families who are going through these things. And that's you know, partly how they've made their decisions. But it's, we have the opportunity now, since they're there, uh, they're, they're, it's a place for them to hang out while school is happening. Plus, we have their attention in the classroom. I, you know, it's almost being served to us on a platter, uh, this opportunity to be a pro-life witnesses for these students yes. who are, yes, at a very impressionable age. Yes. You know, I keep thinking people ask me, so what do we do? You know, the noise is so loud with regard to the pro-abortion argument. Well, I think that especially if you are pro-life, we need to engage the conversation and not shy away from it away from it. There are so many opportunities. And we were talking about um, last week here, you know, various pop culture celebrities who are taking a strong stance on abortion and, you know, starting a ruckus when it comes to their pro-abortion stance. Well, bring up those cases, you know, bring up maybe a story of someone you know. But I think what's important is we need to actually ask people what they think about abortion. Because first of all, often they just repeat narratives and don't actually say for themselves or think for themselves what they believe and so you have to listen but then ask questions to get them to really develop their pro-life position or their pro-abortion position and allow them to grapple with that as they try to communicate what they believe but we also then have to expose them to different perspectives and you know this is something where i think there are a lot of resources if you feel nervous or uncomfortable you can bring up a video and say hey have you heard this video about a man who performed abortions for 20 years now let me play this video of someone like dr uh, Leventino and others we've had two abortionists uh, ex-abortionists here on trending recently you know play the podcast episodes of trending where we talk to people who have performed abortions because those stories are powerful especially uh, people who we've interviewed here on trending father tim where they share how they worked in hot with high-risk pregnancies for years and not once in 20 30 years did they ever have to perform an abortion to quote unquote save the life of a mother and that's i think a narrative that often scares many young people and stumps them and leads them to support abortion but it's a scare tactic that the pro-abortion movement uses that simply isn't true yeah, and to invite them not just into the stories they have not heard before, but to invite them into service to uh, to help those who are in great need. You know, just with Respect Life Month coming up in October, every week of the month, I'm working with my campus minister. She's been amazing on this. Is she's finding different levels of service that we can offer to the community around us. And we're beginning with the, the crisis pregnancy center that's just blocks away from our school. And we've worked with them before. And so these kids get to see what, what do mothers need when they're pregnant and they, and they can't care for themselves. Well, wow, isn't it amazing that we're, we're offering them that help? Oh, I thought that, you know, I thought that Catholics didn't care about uh, children once they were born, you know? And so they get to see us actually at service and they get to be a part of that service. And that's going to transform the way that they understand the whole issue. So I'm really excited to be a part of that as well. Father Tim, I really am encouraged and impressed by our young people that when they have the truth, when they're exposed to it, they 
are so strong and passionate in their pro-life conviction. I think about the opportunity, you know, a lot of the work I've done in the pro-life movement has been with youth-based organizations. You know, I, I work on boards today to help direct pro-life youth organizations and work with them to educate and equip our youth. They're capable of incredible work. You know, I think of organizations like Vox Vitae and Students for Life. We'll post links to some of these resources on social media as well as the podcast notes. If you want to check these out for getting maybe a young person in college or high school involved in pro-life work but I remember some years ago I did a episode of Middle Ground with Jubilee Media it's a really really popular YouTube uh, show series that's broadcasted on YouTube and in this show they present two different perspectives on various issues and one of the episodes I did was on the life issue and they really did try to give a fair balanced perspective on the topic the best they could Um, but what fascinates me is to this day it's been about I think three years since I did that episode I still have young people contacting me weekly sharing that they had a completely different perspective on abortion and that one short 20 or minute so long video hearing a different perspective delivered with love and compassion and listening to the pro-abortion position they completely changed their minds complete 180 and i think that this is a testament again to when young people have and know the truth when they actually have the opportunity to be exposed to it and think about it they will become passionate advocates for life. And so we need to equip them with that truth and not shy away from some of their bold statements that they think they believe in abortion because they really don't at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. And I I remain encouraged. I think it was the last time we got to see each other in person was at the Vox Vitae camp uh, during the summertime. And how encouraging it was. Some of those high schoolers I knew before going into it and to see them, uh, you know, their, their joy. And, and we were there when the Dobbs decision came down uh, on the Feast of the Sacred Heart. And it was just the, the celebration to see these young people uh, who, you know, their whole lives, they've been a part of this with their families. And to see that, that big transition, that big change that's happening in our world. But they, they knew that, you know, this is kind of just the beginning. Like, this isn't the end of our fight. This is, uh, this is a new beginning for us uh, to uh, pay attention to it with a new fervor and a new excitement. And so you're right, the, the young people in the pro-life movement, or I should just say the young people in the church, uh, are, give me a lot of hope. You know, there's a lot of work to do. Absolutely. I, I'm not a, I'm not 100% encouraged by what I see out there. But uh, we are not without hope. That's for sure. Because of what I got to see this summer and what I still get to see with the kids I'm working with right now. That's Father Tim Grumbach, the chaplain of Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. We're going to come back talking about more woke culture, Star Wars, and the gender debate. Perhaps you find the Catholic Church's teaching on gender a little difficult to swallow or maybe not quite compassionate. We're going to talk about that here on Trending, reconciling our feelings about gender with what the church teaches. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. Coming up, have you ever prayed in front of an abortion clinic? Well, we'll talk about how to do that, what your rights are. You have the opportunity in the state of California, Michigan, to vote on abortion in your state constitution, potentially. Join me in just a moment. This hour is sponsored by Solidarity HealthShare. Join thousands who choose ethical and affordable health care. Go to CatholicHealthShare.com. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
Welcome back to Trending. We're going to talk about your opportunity in the state of California, Michigan, to vote on the future of abortion written into your state constitution. We'll also talk about how you can pray in front of an abortion clinic, even if you've never done it before, and how to get involved in local pro-life work. So stay tuned. I have this question all the time. Many people feel emboldened to do more recently. Let's make that happen. Where to begin? We will talk about that. Joining me now is Father Tim Grumbach. Father Tim Grumbach is the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Father Tim, trending in the reading and just general culture always, really over the last 30 plus years has been Star Wars. And there's a recent a couple of books out on the Star Wars front. And it's fascinating to see, in a sense, we could argue that Star Wars has gone woke, new relationships. And I'm fascinated by the whole conversation happening around Star Wars right now. What are you hearing and what are your thoughts on it? Well, you know, I don't think Star Wars has ever been more popular and more successful than it is right now, uh, especially uh, as as a fan of Disneyland and spending time there with, with friends, uh, Catholic friends I spend time there with, and then they invite their other friends in. And so, you know, it's, it's a circle of people that we probably wouldn't be hanging out with otherwise. And, and Star Wars is kind of like, you know, at the center of some of those friendships, as strange as that might sound. But it, it is a the kind of story that I find actually gives people a lot of hope uh, because they, uh, you know, it's just some of the main characters. You can see even one of the greatest villains of all time. You've got Darth Vader, who, you know, there's still some good in him. And by the end of his story, there's some redemption there. And so a story like Star Wars can give people hope, even though they know it's not a real story. It gives them hope. And I'm like, oh, gosh, if a, a made-up story can do that, why can't the gospel, right? <laughs> so... Um, uh, so Star Wars is actually, it just continues to grow. You've got a lot of TV shows that are coming out now. And uh, right now, there's also a series of books that have been coming out, books and comic books and audio books. Uh, and I think there'll be a TV show within the next couple of years from this era of Star Wars that is new to the storytelling, to the canon, so they call it. Uh, it's the High Republic. And so this is taking place like you know, 200 to 300 years before all of the beloved Star Wars stories that we know, like Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and, and all and Darth Vader. Uh, this is all kind of prequel to a lot of that. And th- what they're presenting in these stories is a lot of LG, LBT, oh gosh, what are the letters? <laughs> LGBTQ <laughs> what plus, are they now? <laughs> uh, representation. Yeah. And, and so the big thing, it's almost a main theme for them. And we've heard Disney speak about this, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. high ups in, in Disney uh, executives saying that we, we are going to uh, purposefully and intentionally have more representation from that community. And they're doing the same thing with all these Star Wars stories. And so they're really exciting stories. I've really enjoyed uh, reading and listening to this, these High Republic stories from Star Wars. But then, you know, the further you get into it, the more and more the, the emphasis is actually on these representation relationships. And mm-hmm. uh, I've, so it's, I'm kind of wrestling with it. There's definitely some tension there because in some of the greatest stories ever told uh, in modern days, you, know, you start seeing characters who look differently than, uh, than they would have been, uh, than they would have looked in stories told you know, two or three decades ago. And so you're having different representation from different races, uh, different skin colors, different cultures. And that's not a bad thing in most cases. It's actually a pretty good thing if you want superheroes uh, if if children who you know are 
uh, you know, black children, Asian children, whatever they are, they want superheroes that look like them. That's not a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, but then what do you have to say about representation when it comes to uh, what they could call this sexual identity, gender identity? Mm-hmm. And they actually have a, an article written about representation in Star Wars, and it, it begins by emphasizing identity. You know, they say things like, our identity is the most personal, personal thing we own. And so that's some interesting language there. And then by the end of the article, they're talking about how, you know, uh, romance has always been an integral element in Star Wars ever since the very beginning. And so love is going to reign supreme, they say. Why not start representing every kind of love, I mean, all the ways we can love? <laughs> and so we've heard this right, language before. Right, not like before. every story, right. Not like right, every story right. has love at the heart of it. That would in part what makes a good story and it makes it intriguing uh, universally to people that battle that struggle it's interesting because you commented on some of the uh, conversations online with regard to characters and the plot especially of the latest book midnight horizon and i find it fascinating that even mainstream conversation keeps focusing on the fact that the focus of much of these latest novels have been quote queer characters as center stage uh it showing romance and adventure in those quote-unquote queer relationships and I am riveted by this whole conversation because I think that it shows the power of story, Father Tim. Why do people read? Because right now these are books, and like you said, they will be depicted this new era or early era of Star Wars. It will be depicted in films and an imminent show, uh, but it reminds us of the power of story and that connection. One of the commentaries I was reading online was talking about how uh, poignant these relationships are at a time when people are craving a conversation when people are craving personal connectivity and what does a good book do a good book a good novel a good series we see part of ourselves in the character we connect to the characters we are influenced by we root for a character we hate another character and i think that it's interesting that really this genre of fiction that is reaching into the lives of young people today through books and soon-to-be movies and other forms of stories uh, are so centrally focused on the sexualization of the main individuals uh, rather than allowing a love story to be part of the story uh, but not kind of confusing this muddied politicized world of what is a gender ideology that is being sampled out today in many ways on young people yeah, you make a good point there is that you know, romance has an important part to play in a lot of these stories, these love stories. But in, in reading these stories and listening to them, it seems almost less like they're trying to tell a romance story as they're sexualizing the characters in some sense. And, you know, they, they try to point out like, well, it's not, you know, these, these characters aren't who they are. Like, they're not all about their sexual identity. And then they go on to say, like, you know, our identity is the most important thing that we hold and, and when they're talking about that. So there's, there's a little bit of tension there is that they're, they're trying to say, oh, no, it's not really about their sexual identity. But then the whole character is known <laughs> by their sexual identity. Then One of the characters in it? this story that I found it most difficult to follow along with um, is uh, a, a non-binary character. And, you know, I can imagine people who, uh, who experience that and identify themselves that way. It, you know, it's you know, helpful for them to find a character that, that looks like them and, and acts like them. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. But it became so difficult to read it just at a practical level of 
uh, you know, they had to make sure the pronouns were right every time this character was mentioned. And so it's always, it's never he or she, it's always they, them. And so I was always like listening to it, like, are they talking about multiple characters? Are they talking about this one character? And I know that's kind of like a minor argument against it, but it still showed that, you know, there's a little bit of confusion there in, in how to understand this character. And they were lifted up as this heroic character, even though, you know, as a, you know, this character as a Jedi uh, was somebody who uh, left the Jedi Order to have a relationship with somebody else. And, you know, as far as I can tell, again, it's not clear in the story. It seems to have been a, 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 a male character that was identifying as non-binary and having a relationship with another male character. So, you know, not only did you have a non-binary uh, relationship, you had a gay relationship that uh, on which much of the story hinged and it was lifting this character up as leaving their responsibilities behind so that they could have this romantic relationship, this sexualized relationship. And so that's the kind of, and this is a young adult novel. And so this is, you know, these stories are being told for a reason. These stories are being told to teach in a way, the way that the culture is or the way that they want the culture to be. So I, I just found it very interesting too that it's these main characters, it's the good characters, but it's never going to be the bad characters, at least not in these days. And so you know, this article speaking about you know, sexual identity in the Star Wars universe, uh, kind of, it actually, uh, in a way, it references the rebellion and the resistance. These are the good guys and says, hey, we're like the rebellion and the resistance. You know, there are many of us who will stand and fight in the name of love. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, you could imply, even if that's not what they mean, but it sounds like they're also saying like, but if you're against this, you're the bad guys. If you're against right. this, you are the evil empire. You are the first order. You are the ones who are, right. de or, are fighting against love. And so it's a, a very emotionally charged language that has grown typical of the kind of arguments set forth to, uh, to lift up uh, this kind of representation. That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Tim Murray. Uh, Father Tim, I do find it interesting because it's this question that is being asked and presented in the books. Will we ever be allowed to love whomever we choose? Or will this be a conflict in the missions and adventure and the joy of our lives? And that argument is what is being argued today really in the mainstream, in families. Uh, in I think more importantly, in our hearts, that there's this tug and pull as to the crisis within and the contradiction of this idea and dichotomy of being all loving and then also following what to some seems like a very strict and uh, authoritarian and hateful sexual ethic of Christ and the church. And so reconciling this pull of the heart for compassion and empathy for some people and this whole slogan of love is love, you should be able to love who you want. I get that, but there's a balance and understanding compassion, empathy versus embracing behavior and pursuing something that as the social sciences have said for years in affirmation of what the church teaches, that this pursuit of, dys of dysphoric ideology, of a dysphoric identity is actually damaging psychologically to the individual. And I know that's something very offensive to be said today, but we believe as people of faith that first and foremost that we're all called to chastity. 
No matter what uh, disorientation any of us might have, whether it be to multiple relationships, relationships with minors, uh, relationships with people of the same sex, you know, or uh, wanting to physically alter our bodies, we believe that we're all called to chastity, that we're not called to just define and live out our own reality, but come into conformity and reality with truth. And that comes from God and the purpose God created for our bodies. And I think that that's hard sometimes for people to swallow, Father Tim, thinking of the fact that God made us with a design, he made us with a purpose, but he also at the same time made us with free will to freely enter into that life or freely walk away from it. Yeah, I, I had a good friend come and visit the school yesterday to speak to some of our senior classes about the sacrament of matrimony because she's getting married on Saturday. It's coming up really soon. And she said that you have to keep God at the center of your relationship. And one of the students, a very good question, said, like, what does that look like? You, know, you say keep God at the center of your relationship, but you know, how do we concretely do that? And I, I didn't know what kind of answer my friend was going to give. I thought maybe, you know, well, we've got to pray together, which is great. You've got to pray by yourself. Excellent. What the answer she gave was chastity. That's a way that you keep your, your uh, God at the center of your relationship. And I was blown away. I was just so happy that she would uh, not be afraid to tell these high school seniors that you keep God at the center of your relationship by, by maintaining chastity. And that it's not just this no to everything. It's this, you know, every no you have to say is at the service of a greater yes. And it was just so beautiful. She said that, you know, your chastity is this Ma- this school of self-gift. It's about mastering your desires, right? Not being perfect, but you know, this gradual growing in, in mastery of your desires. And that's at the heart of the mystical life in, in the Christian uh, tradition. And that's, this is definitely one of the things that I, I don't know if this discussion is ever being brought up when it comes to these issues, but the purification of desire and attractions is that you know, when, you, when you identify yourself with anything less than God's love for you, uh, there, you you are lessening God's love in a sense. Like Saint Augustine once wrote that he loves little who loves things alongside of God and not for God's sake, right? And so, in a sense, that's saying if you are identifying yourself with the things you are attracted to and attached to, you, that's not real love. You know, you can only love perfectly when you're loving as God loves. And so I've just wondered, you know, are these discussions being had? Are we inviting people experiencing these attractions into this purification of desires that, you know, when, when the fire of God's love touches them, it has to crucify them. And if God wants them to be brought back to life, he'll bring them back to life. But, you know, are we inviting people to, to let these desires, uh, these same-sex attractions be crucified? Uh, and so if, you know, if they were truly something that God wanted to bring back to life, he would, because every single person, no matter their attractions, is invited to this, this self-denial, this, this dying to self. But it's almost like the language of, of affirmation of those experiencing the same-sex attraction or those who identify as trans or non-binary are not, are, we're, we're not inviting them into that great mystery of self-denial. Uh, so that God can can purify their desires in the ways that he wants to. And that's a cheapening of the gospel, if you ask me. And so I was just, you know, again, encouraged by how much beauty there is in our, our Catholic tradition 
of the purification of desires that we're called to that stories like Star Wars simply can't give us. They try to with the Jedi and their mystical ways, but there's so much self-loathing written into these characters, their hatred for the celibacy that they're called to. It's like almost every Jedi hates it. And so I, I, know, I know that's a lot, but that's just kind of what's on my mind uh, when it comes to trying to understand the way Star Wars is telling stories uh, compared to the way the gospel is the story that we've been born into. Well, and as a challenge for us to reconsider, you know, how we reconcile, again, that that thought of empathy and compassion uh, or disagreement on this topic of love as love and reconcile that with our faith. And so I think that you pose a really good challenge in helping people to understand, yes, God loves you exactly the way you are 100%, but that doesn't mean he loves your choices. And that doesn't mean he doesn't want you to grow as an individual. Jesus Christ is all about conversion and repentance and not because we're miserable, miserable human beings, but because he has such an incredible view of the human person because he designed us with a purpose. He gave us freedom and he's calling us to exercise that freedom in love, uniting ourselves to him. You're listening to Father Tim Grubbuck here on Trending with Timory. Father Tim, we've tagged you on social media, Instagram, Twitter. He is there. You can follow him on social media, connect with him, and hear his keen insights on the gospel. I'll be back here on Trending to dive into the topic of Propositions 1 in California and Prop 3 in Michigan. That's right. The people will vote on the topic of abortion. Wow. And not only that, how do you get involved in your local pro-life community and kicking off tomorrow, 40 Days for Life? Have you ever prayed in front of an abortion clinic? Would you? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Are you tired of educational options that are one size fits all? Our sponsor, Colby Academy, offers the flexibility of both accredited online and traditional school at home options to fit the needs of your child. Visit relevantradio.com slash Colby. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. topic of abortion the rest of the hour talking about praying in front of an abortion clinic have you ever done it what was your first experience if you went there for the first time i was so encouraged by many of you this spring who shared with me you prayed in front of the abortion clinic for the very first time and you know what i heard over and over again it wasn't dangerous it was eye-opening it was impactful we saw lives changed and this is the challenge we all have. We need to be out there praying from the abortion clinic. As challenging or uncomfortable as that may seem, there are many opportunities. And one opportunity right now I'd like to invite you to 40 Days for Life is a actually not just national but international campaign where people across the nation and the world are praying in front of their local abortion clinic. That's right, praying in front of their local abortion clinic out on the public sidewalk where you have the right to stand, to pray, 
to protest, whatever you want to do out there, you have the right to free speech. You have the right to assemble. And so 40 Days for Life is an organized effort where people are standing side by side, at least two at a time, praying in front of their local abortion clinic. What I love about this is if you've never been before, this is the opportunity to do so. And I want to encourage you, one hour a week, one hour a week, go and pray at the abortion clinic. This is what I try to hold myself to in general, to the best of my ability. But 40 Days for Life is always an opportunity and reminder. Kicking off September 28th for the next 40 days, there will be a public witness for life in front of our abortion clinics. You can sign up online. Make sure you're there to be signed up with someone else at the same time. You have the legal right to assemble and pray in front of the abortion clinic. It's peaceful. Sometimes are police called because the pro-abortion workers don't like seeing you there? Yes, but you have a right to pray in front of the abortion clinic. And legal teams and people are always there helping to educate, inform, and make sure that people are in their right out in front of the abortion clinics. All can do this. I've done it while pregnant by myself at times because I've done it before. I have done it with my baby girl with me. And in fact, you know, every walk of life we need to be out there. Men of all ages, inspiring women who are maybe coming up for an abortion and maybe they're there because a man in their life didn't stand next to them, but you were standing there saying you care as a stranger. That can be incredibly compelling to many women. Women who are pregnant, go stand there. Mothers, grandmothers, go stand there and love these women. Show that you care. I can't tell you how often I have stood in front of an abortion clinic And people have jumped out and said, were you here last week or were you here a year ago? Because if you were, we drove by and didn't go in for an appointment. And look in the backseat of my car right now. That little boy would not be here today if people like yourself weren't standing out in front of the abortion clinic. I remember years ago, I had done a pro-life educational uh, program out on the piers of Santa Monica. We had big pro-life signs. We were educating people to the talk of topic of abortion and just that happened a young man pulls over on the busy 101 uh, there in the state of California and there's really not a place to pull over and he jumps out of his car and everyone thought that there was going to be this confrontation I'm just standing there ready for whatever might come and he says were you here last year we said yes said last summer and this month I said yes we come here every year and he said well because of you that kid, because of you people out here, that kid in my back seat, we were scheduled to have an abortion the following weekend, and we didn't. And we are now married, and there's our little girl. These stories you don't hear every day, but this is, I always say, those little nuggets of inspiration given to us by the Holy Spirit, encouraging us in the work we do. And you may never hear personally a story like that. You may never hold a baby you saved, but the truth of the matter is, we bear witness by our lives, the way we live our lives, and it can make an incredible, incredible difference. And so we're going to post links online. I really hope you will get involved in your local 40 Days for Life campaign. You can sign up now. I encourage you, make a commitment of one hour a week, before work, after work, maybe in the middle of your day, whenever you can. The number 40daysforlife.com, that's 40daysforlife.com. Find a local prayer campaign kicking off tomorrow, September 28th through November 6th. I'll be out there. I hope you'll join me as well. And let me know if you go and pray in front of the abortion clinic for the first time. 
A question I've been receiving a lot from people lately is how can I get involved in local pro-life work? I was actually just sent this email from a young woman a couple days ago and Madeline's asking, you know, how can I get involved? I'm in my early 20s. I'm interested in working with pregnant and single mothers who need help. And I hear this question very often. And whether you're looking to change career paths or start a new career path, working the pro-life movement, or maybe you're looking to volunteer. Uh, for me, I'll share just a little bit of my story. I grew up in the pro-life movement, as many of you know. My mom was heavily involved in pro-life work, and I, you know, saw the issue of abortion firsthand. I saw, you know, the impact that opening a maternity home could have. You know, there are so many things you can do, such as volunteering in a maternity home where women are able to find a home in a culture where maybe they don't have a home environment that is conducive with a child and supporting a pregnancy. And so, that maternity home is a place of help and those maternity homes need support, volunteer time, financial support. You'd be surprised by all the resources just a simple local pro-life organization might need. Our local crisis pregnancy center is the same thing. Our local crisis pregnancy centers need legal help. Our local crisis pregnancy centers need diapers and wipes and clothes donated. They need people to come in and help volunteer to play with babies when moms who have chosen life are there, but they're there to talk to counselors because they're still working through some of the messiness in their life that they need to work through to help be the best moms they can be or to help navigate them through relationships to work toward marriage if they're not married or helping them to navigate those difficult relationship issues that maybe because of their family of origin, they never experienced. And so there's so many facets of getting involved. I think the best things to do are know what some of your local pro-life community um, organizations are. So I would say your local crisis pregnancy center, uh, maybe your local, most local regional uh, pro-life advocacy group. You know, various states have different pro-life advocacy groups uh, working with the legal side or the political side. Get to know these organizations. See where you might fit in. Uh, there are so many programs. I think of, you know, in, in various areas, if you're in college, Students for Life is an excellent organization. A Vox Vitae in Southern California is helping equip high school students to be public witnesses and to go and actually sidewalk counsel and be in front of the abortion clinic. So there are a lot of resources, uh, but I want to encourage you, if you're thinking about getting involved in the pro-life wor work, pray. Ask our Lord to use you. Trust me, he will. And be open to the way he might call you in a way that you might not necessarily feel comfortable or desire to. Uh, the biggest joke I always say is when I got involved in doing a chastity education work. There's one topic I always said I wouldn't do. I'm not a public speaker. And to this day, if I were in a setting and had to read a book in front of people or whatever it might be, I'd be so nervous and bright red and sweating and hot and choking on my words. And God really does call you not because you're necessarily uh, the best or equipped at what you do, but because he's asking you to you say yes. And I think that that speaks volumes to uh, don't say, oh, well, I don't have the skill or, you know, not me. Well, maybe the fact that it is a challenge, the way in which you're being called to do some sort of pro-life work might be the exact, exact reason why you should be doing it. Because it's not about us. It's about answering the call to the work of our Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of a culture that is dying Women and children, the souls of women 
the bodies of babies through this crisis of abortion in our culture. So those are some thoughts and maybe you have other ways you've been involved in pro-life work. I'd love to hear from you as well. Before I forget, I want to make sure we talk about Proposition 1 in California and Proposition 3 in the state of Michigan. Uh, We'll continue to talk about these as voting is imminent coming up early this November. I am astounded that we are living at a point in American history where we have the opportunity to vote on the topic, the issue of abortion. That's right. California and Michigan are two of the states that will be facing proposition ballots or ballot propositions to make amendments to their state constitution. Now, I want to say something very, very clearly at the get-go of this. I believe the state of Michigan can defeat this radical pro-abortion proposition three that is trying to amend the constitution for the most permissive abortion laws in the state. But not only that, not only do I believe that a Midwestern state can do this, I believe that my home state of California can do the same. I truly believe that that California has the capacity to defeat Proposition 1. Because the truth of the matter is, is that the majority of people don't agree, even who are pro-abortion, with what Proposition 1 is. Proposition 1 would permanently allow taxpayer-funded dollars to fund abortion through all nine months of a woman's pregnancy. Most people actually don't want tax funding to go to pay for an abortion. Most people actually would agree that if someone disagrees with abortion, that other person's money shouldn't have to go to pay for an abortion that they disagree with. In fact, this is what's so scary about Proposition 1 in California. It's essentially a blank check to the government there in California to pay for anyone's abortion. This is how bad it is. It would actually, if this proposition was enshrined into the state constitution, it would actually put paying for a person's abortion, even people from out of state, above helping poor people who might need the assistance with everything from groceries Everything from groceries to uh, needing help with housing and health care. I'm not advocating for these programs, but what I'm saying is that it would literally prioritize killing babies and hurting moms with abortion over helping with the basic day-to-day needs of individuals and families, women and children. I don't think anyone agrees with that. I don't think anyone agrees with a blank check to the government there in the state of California to pay for people's abortions especially late-term abortions. In the state of California, if this proposition was passed, if it had enough yes votes, it would again enshrine in the state constitution no limits on abortion whatsoever. And people often say up until the moment of birth, no, I'm talking about during birth. A woman could be giving birth and she could change her mind and have an abortion. Currently, the state of California is already one of the most permissive abortion states. The current state law is basically abortion up to 24 weeks. And with that also, after 24 weeks, late-term abortion is permissible. Um, and it's for permissible for the life and health of the mother, quote-unquote life and health of the mother, as we've talked with abortionists and OBGYNs here on Trending. There's no reason to vet a mom's life against or above a child's life. There's no reason to ever perform an abortion to 
quote unquote, save a mom or save a baby. You could do an early delivery and it might be difficult for that baby to survive outside of the womb, but never the direct killing of a baby. There's a, there's a stark difference there. And it's important we emphasize that. So already the state of California is a sanctuary state for abortion. Uh, the governor, Gavin Newsom, and other politicians in California have announced that they want California to be an abortion sanctuary for people across the nation. In fact, Governor Newsom, who's currently running for re-election, is running, running billboard campaigns across the nation, including places such as Mississippi, saying, come to California. Not only can you have an abortion, but we'll pay for it as well. In addition to that, he's using sacred scripture to citing sacred scripture uh, as a means to defend why we are being compassionate and helping people. It's astounding to see these ads going up across the nation by our state government or by the campaigns of who might continue to be people such as Gavin Newsom uh, continue to be the governor there in the state of California. So we need to see in the state of California people stand up against Proposition 1. If you vote in favor of Proposition 1, you are enshrining the most permissive abortion laws into the state constitution. And no vote would basically keep abortion laws as they are now. They would keep abortion laws as they are, which are already the most permissive abortion laws in the country. And again, I said just a few minutes ago, I believe California can defeat this. Even Rasmussen poll just done shows that only 20% of people in California actually want late-term abortion access. 80% don't want it. And that includes people who are pro-abortion and pro-life. And so most people do not support late-term abortion. Most people do not support enshrining abortion into the state constitution with unfettered access to government funds above other important government resources, giving a blank check to the government. So no vote keeps the law as is. This should be a win for the pro-life and the pro-abortion movement because most pro-abortion people actually do believe that there should be restrictions on abortion. Now, the state um, proposition in Michigan is exactly the same. It allows abortion up to birth, uh, even allowing for procedures such as partial birth abortion. It's a very, very poorly written proposition and amendment to the Constitution. There are many mistakes in it. Uh, It would actually allow uh, people who are not trained doctors to perform abortions. What kind of healthcare is that? And it even overrides things such as parental notification laws that are currently in place in places such as Michigan. And it overrules health and safety regulations. So an abortion clinic wouldn't have to uh, meet the same standard that other medical facilities do because it's political, it's abortion. So in other words, if basic health standards, if basic standards for making sure operating equipment and emergency equipment could fit through hallways, they wouldn't have to meet those standards in the state of Michigan. These two laws or these two propositions in Michigan and California need to be defeated. They can only be defeated with no votes and by you talking to people. It's important that we talk to people who are on both ends of the spectrum of the life issue, pro-life and pro-abortion, because most pro-abortion people are not in favor of taxpayer-funded abortion and do believe that there should be restrictions on late-term abortion. But Prop 1 in California and Prop 3 in Michigan get rid of all restrictions on late-term abortion and give a blank check to the federal government to pay for abortion. People don't agree with that. 
That's why we need to speak to people to have these conversations as the narrative in the media isn't telling the truth about what these propositions are. I believe California and Michigan can defeat these propositions and fight back against the abortion objective in their states. You're listening to Trending with Timurie. Up next is a family rosary across America.